I'm going to continue with the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and the way I'm going to introduce this section is to tell you a little story. On Friday morning, I, I played golf, and when I golf, I, I, I walk. Uh, I play nine holes at Pelican Bay, and the starter there is a devout Catholic. His name is Mike, uh, and he always calls me Reverend. <laughs> Reverend. Hard to believe. Calls me Reverend. So as I came off the uh, nine holes... Uh, he said to me, Reverend, you got that sermon prepared? It's Friday. You got it ready to go? I said, well, pretty much. I'm going to go home and tweak it a little bit, but yeah, I think so. He said, remember, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, don't be longer than 10 minutes. I go, Mike, 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 if I just preach 10 minutes, I'll have to take a big cut in pay. My church wouldn't put up with it. It's, it's going to be 30 minutes, Mike, but here's the thing. It's an important message, and I say this in front of the other people. Jesus is going to tell us that we must be perfect. Really, he said. We must be perfect. Like God. He goes, like Phil Mickelson? And I go, no, a lot more perfect than Phil Mickelson. A lot more perfect than Phil Mickelson. But you see, you never know when God is going to give you an opportunity, you see, to speak uh, about Jesus. And so I always look for these things. So they've understood that Jesus has told us to be perfect. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. In Matthew 5, verse 48, uh, Jesus is going to tell us that we must be perfect. Jesus doesn't mince words. And you know, when you study this and you hear the words of Jesus, is it no wonder that it's impossible to get to heaven by any other way than through Jesus Christ? You recognize the perfection of God and how our responsibility is to strive for perfection in every step of our life along the way. And of course, we're never going to be fully perfect, but when the, the walking and the passing and in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every day we get closer to the goal. Uh, and so it's important for us to consider that. And so Jesus has already indicated clearly that if a man is to enter into heaven, his righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, and we see how the Pharisees live, but we know that they tried to keep up to the law to the way they understood it. They were fastidious about tithing and their religious practices. And so the question must be, well, exactly how good must we be? How good must our righteousness be? How good must a saved person be? And that's the nature of this message today to you. And so in answer to these questions, Jesus uh, is, is drawing uh, a parallel that is devastating to all human attempts to earn heaven. You cannot possibly earn heaven. No amount of human good or human righteousness can earn heaven. And if you read Matthew 5, 48, in summary of all his previous teaching and what many people believe, it may be the single most important verse in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Astounding. Be perfect every day. 
Be perfect like your father is perfect. Don't look at the guy down the street. Don't lift yourself up, but be perfect. Perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And so as you understand this verse and you begin to drill down on it, you begin to understand the very heart of the Christian gospel, what it's about, what our responsibility is. So you see, when we signed on to God, when we indicated to God that we needed a Savior and God saved you, well then, there's a responsibility that we have and God will direct, and that is the perfecting of your life. And that's what's going to take place the rest of your life. And so God's standard, this is the truth, God's standard for man is complete and utter rectitude, moral rectitude. He is to have no blemish in any way. In short, he is to be as blameless and perfect as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, when we say this, we know that all men and women will fall far short of that standard. We understand that. Uh, Romans 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God's standard is the bullseye. And no one will ever hit it. All men will fall short. Consequently, no one will ever enter heaven by his own human standards, by his own human efforts. It is impossible. You could never uh, reach that level of perfection that God uh, demands from you by by working yourself. But as a result of the Holy Spirit within you and the inspiration of God working for you and in you every day of your life, you will eventually be perfect. You will. Now, Peter speaks of the perfecting process employed by God in dealing with our imperfections. In the first letter of of Peter, he writes to believers suffering persecution for following Jesus. And he says there, emphasizing how their temporary world, along with its trials, will give way to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'd like you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials." These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and hope when Jesus Christ is revealed. What a great set of verses. Understanding the nature of the Christian walk. Yes, we're going to suffer persecution. Yes, 
God is going to work on us. Yes, God is going to begin this perfecting process every day of your life. But it's important for you to recognize that there is a purpose in it. You don't just suffer this, these things because the world suffers them. You're suffering them because God is manipulating you and perfecting you and making something special of you. And so in this passage, he details the magnificence of God's mercy uh, in regenerating, verse 3, and the protection of his power to guard them, verse 5. His words overflow with the reality of divine grace. Uh, However, rather than assuring us that God does not demand perfection, he challenges us, you see, and he says there in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's the standard. That's the standard. Be holy. And so this is serious. Peter allows no wiggle room here, you see. Uh, Holiness defines the veritable essence of God. And since God calls his people to be like him, holiness is not optional. It's not an option for us. You can't say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I really don't want to be holy. No, no, there's no option for that. God demands it, and he will make you holy. He will make you holy. At the same time, as we reflect on these words, uh, we need to understand that saying that you will grow in holiness, you will be conformed into the image of God. And if you look at 1 Peter 1, again, verse 14, He says there, effectively, the Lord empowers us to be holy as we traverse the earth as exiles. How about that? As we're walking in this earth, walking as exiles in this earth, God is perfecting us in every possible way. So for us as Christians, and I want to drill down on this so I make it clear as to how God views this issue of perfection, there are three stages of holiness, Effectively, three stages. Uh, And you might say that there are three stages of perfection as well. God sees us as holy now at the moment that you are saved. Because as you reach up from the muck and mire of your life and you say, Father, I need a Savior, God immediately reaches out to you. He saves you and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. And at that very moment, the record has been cleansed. Everything that you did in your life is wiped out. There are no sins. And so at that moment, the record has been cleaned. Uh, And so what that means is he sees you then from that moment on through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ, you are holy. Now, you're not holy. But God sees you as holy because you're saved through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. Then, as we continue to walk in his way, and you know, I often talk about this as the day two experience of being a Christian, meaning we pick up our cross and we walk with him day after day. That day two experience for the rest of your life effectively is called sanctification. Sanctification, what does that mean? 
Uh, God continues the perfecting process. He knows that you have warts. He knows that you have failings. And so he's going to perfect you. He's going to make you better. He's going to make you more like Jesus day after day after day. It's not going to be easy. It might be painful, but this is the deal that we've signed up for. This is what God demands of us. This is what holiness is about, and this is how we get to heaven. This is what salvation means. And so he's perfecting you every day. And then finally, finally, you see, as, as our life draws to an end, as our life draws to an end, he prepares us. He prepares us for heaven and to be with Jesus and to be with him and to see him. And in order to do that, the final act of perfection is glorification. Glorification, meaning there on your deathbed, he will make you even more perfect as you are prepared to walk into heaven and to be with him. Uh, and, and, and it's so amazing when you understand exactly how God had planned this from the beginning of time. If you see this in Isaiah 53, it makes very clear that God's plan was to send a redeemer. God's plan was to send a redeemer who would, who would come and save you from his sins, who would carry your sins. And so it's all part of God's plan. And so you understand this now. You see it that, yes, yes, I have to be perfect. Yes, I must be like God. Yes, I'm not going to be that way on my own. But in God's time and in his plan, as he manipulates me and as he judges me and as he carries me, as I walk through life, as his man or woman, I am going to get closer and closer to what he demands me to be. That's the call of the Christian. That's the nature of who we are. That's what we've signed up for. And so in the 18th Psalm, you see, David speaks of perfection twice. Once of God's perfection and once of man's. The point of these verses, you see, is that God is responsible for both kinds of perfections. He himself is the essence of perfection, but he also, also clearly works to, per, to perfect sin, sinful man. Uh, and he does this on a continual basis. And there's a perfect example of that uh, sanctification uh, of God's man. Look at David. He was called at the age of 16 and anointed to be king. He would not be king for another 17 years. He would have to walk through life and be pursued by Saul. He would live as a hostage. He would live out in the wilderness. He would be assailed from all different angles. And you could say, how can this be, God? You anointed me. I'm to be the new king of Israel. Why are you doing this? Because God had a plan for his life. You understand? God had a plan for his life. Uh, even though he would be king, there were things about David that had to be taken care of. There were issues in his character that had to be taken care of. If he was going to assume the mantle of being the king of, of Israel and to be the spiritual leader of the Jewish people, there were things that had to be taken care of in his life. And so you see, that's what God does. And he does this for you. And so if he did it to as great a man as David, how much more can he do it for us? Really, he works, he perfects us in this ongoing life in every step of the way. And as he does that, he prepares us to walk and make the, take the next step into heaven in that final act of perfection and glorification. So what does it mean to say that God 
perfects the record. What does that mean, God perfects the record? Well, what it means is that at the moment that you're saved, sin is so pervasive in your life that you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God unless that sin is washed away. And the only way it's washed away is in the act of salvation, and that requires you saying to God, Father, I need a Savior. God gave you the faith to say that. God gave you the ability to say it, but God doesn't put the words in your mouth. You understand? He expects you to say, God, help me. I need a Savior. And when you do that, instantaneously, he saves you and erases the record. It's clean forever. As far as the east is from the the west. Uh, And so sin involves not just us, but it involves others as well. And all of it, you see, is an offense unto God. All you had to see is Jesus being crucified on the cross when he became the sin bearer for all time. And what happened at the end when it effectively came down and crushed him? Communication was cut off from God himself. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could no longer communicate with God. Father, why have you abandoned me? Because you are sin. Because I cannot be a part of sin. I cannot be a part of this offense. And so even Christ himself at that moment, as he became the sin bearer for all time, experienced that. And so this is why this sin must be dealt with. Uh, The record had to be cleaned. That's what it's, what it's about. Hebrews 10, verse 14, speaks of this. And it says, therefore, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You see that verse? Those who are being made holy. In other words, the holiness project continues. When I look out in this congregation, I see all of you as holy. I see all of you as committed, but I also recognize that in that walk, God is continuing to make you more holy. He is perfecting you in every way. And so the second way uh, in which God works to perfect the believer uh, is to begin to perfect him more and more in this life. This is part of God's plan, you see. He's not just perfecting you for heaven. You're going to heaven. You have your passport. You have your ticket. You're going. Nobody's going to take that away from you, but you walk in this world. You're in exile in this world. He has a plan for you. He expects you to speak to others. He expects you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this world, he is going to continue to perfect you, to continue to sand you uh, and mold you in every way. Uh, and, And so this becomes critical as well. And Paul understood this perfectly well. You see, there's a guy who would write two-thirds of the New Testament, all right? He would be the missionary of all missionaries. He would spread the gospel through the entire known world, and yet, even though he had arguably the greatest salvation in the history of the world and on that road to Damascus, look what he said in Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
I press on. I'm not content to sit there in a chair and say, I've been saved, it's done, it's over, I'll just wait for the day I go home. No, no. I press on to take hold of everything that God has planned for you, to take a hold of the promises, to take hold of the gifts, to meet the people that God has commanded you to meet, to speak to people who need to hear about Jesus, because many people are going to only hear it from you. Only you. Why do you think I said what I said at the golf course? Was I trying to be funny? Well, in one sense, I was. But I knew that in many ways, they'd never hear that, that Jesus demands us to be perfect. Well, they heard it that day, and I'm sure they're going to remember it. I'm sure they're going to remember it. Uh, and so even though Paul knew that the record had been perfected for him, that Christ had taken away all his sins. And let me tell you, he had a lot of them. You know that as a Pharisee, we know that he's, he was one of the guys responsible for the death of Stephen. We also know that after that, uh, for a period of time, he pursued the Christian church, throwing people into prison, uh, allowing people uh, to be executed. All of this was on his conscience. And so even though he knew he'd been perfected by God, he still understood that there was still some other perfecting process that had to be taken place. Uh, and so he understood that that was a work that was still in front of him. This is an important message for us, church, because I know that many of you are suffering, going through difficulties. Even as a church, we've had this experience where we, where we thought we had our new home, and yet at the last minute it fell through. I am convinced, I am convinced after praying that God is using this as a perfecting process. It's perfecting us as a church. It's perfecting me as your pastor. It's perfecting you as the congregants. You see, all of this is important as we rely on God's will and recognize that he has this enormous plan for all of us, that we're just pawns being moved about by God, but we submit to him in every way. And so each of us should find this to be true in our own experience. Uh, and so when a person first believes in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he normally has a great sense of, of relief and gratitude to God for that experience, for removing the penalty of sin. He is thankful. He is liberated. However, at the same time, and I don't mean to be mean-spirited here, but this is also true, he is still not much different in terms of his natural inclinations and conduct. Let's be honest. You're saved. You recognize God as your Lord and Savior. You recognize Jesus as your Savior. But has your conduct really changed? Have your inclinations really changed? In many cases, not. I would say really in, in the vast majority of cases, not. Because that becomes the next step of salvation, the ongoing step of perfection and sanctification. And so before he believed the gospel, you see, this man was filled with many wrong ideas about himself, uh, about how God works, really even about who God was. He had many bad habits, which he didn't recognize were outside of the will of God. But now he's saved. Now he's saved. So, but many of these ideas and habits still remain. He's to begin to learn 
that these habits and inclinations are outside of the kingdom of God, that they must be changed. He is to develop a distaste for sin and hunger for righteousness. In other words, he is to begin to experience the secondary aspect of the perfecting work of God. And that's what happens. You understand? You've been implanted with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit suddenly tells you, don't touch this. It's hot. Don't go there. It's against God's will. Don't do this. But you still have to understand. You still have to submit to this. You still have to understand it. The inclinations are still there. It doesn't change overnight. And so this does not mean that the man is getting better and better so that the day will come when he can say, oh, yeah, I've been a Christian for 25 years. I no longer sin. And then I would say to him, really, brother? Really, sister? Take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This was written to the church. This wasn't written to outsiders. This is the church. So don't ever go around saying, yeah, I've been in God's way for 25 years. I've arrived at a higher level of understanding. And my response to you would be really read this verse and understand where we are. We walk with the grace of God. Every day we become more sensitive to his will because the things that used to have no impact and offense to us, suddenly we recognize that's not where God wants me to go. That's not what God wants me to do. I mean, a lot of this begins very simply with language. You know how you heard people who weren't Christians uh, use vulgar language all the time. You see that. I mean, it's pervasive all over the place. You can't turn on television. But now if you're a Christian, after you've walked with Christ, your speech has been affected. You can't say those words. You may think those words, but here's what happened. Suddenly, as your brain goes into that mode, you are convicted of the Holy Spirit, and it shuts down. Because you are to be an example to the world of what it means to be a Christian. This is God's plan. You're all missionaries. You may not recognize it, but you all are. And so that's what this is about. Uh, and so we have to take up our cross and follow him and be like him in every way. Look, this is precisely what God has in mind for us in this perfecting process. I know this isn't easy. I know it can be painful. I know it can be hard. I mean, I know many of you would say, I wish, I wish I, I don't have to go through this. Why do I have to suffer these things? Why do I have this pain in my life? Why do I have to suffer persecution or rejection? It's because God is making something of you that the world needs to see. All right? That's the assurance that he has. And so as we look to him constantly, daily, and pray to him, and worship him. He will give us help. He will give us strength. He will give us encouragement. The more we lower ourselves before the throne of God, the more he will lift us up, and he will elevate us, and we, we will become perfect in his sight. And so you understand this perfecting process. It's not an easy stage of understanding. This is what separates us from every other religion in the world. 
Because the other religions in the world come to a determination of once you make a declaration, you're done, you're in, now you go to service and you're finished. Oh, no, not with us. Oh, no, not with us. That's just the beginning. You're going to heaven. That's the prize. But I want to prepare you. I want you to be in this world and to elevate this world. I want you to bring this message to the lost that need to hear it. And so the final stage of God's work in perfecting the saints is to perfect them completely in the moment of death. And you see, this is what separates us again from every other religion and every other aspect of the world. And you can see it when you come to a Christian who is dying and is about to go from this world to the next. And I've had many times the privilege of seeing that. There's a joy. There's a joy in that room that's, that it cannot be defined in human words. You walk down the hospital and those people that don't have it, the room is dark and gloomy. But you walk into a Christian's room, even if he's intubated, and even if there are so many instruments going on at the last, yet you feel the presence of God. Because God is taking this person and finally glorifying him and perfecting him to meet Jesus. What an amazing God that we have. Death is the portal, you see, to the total perfection that God has planned for us. Paul called death again. Again. He knew that death brings the believer into the presence of Jesus Christ. And he knew that it results in us becoming Christ-like, perfecting. And this is the true past, present, and future of what it means to be a Christian. And it touches every single aspect of our life. Look, there is a picture in the book of Hosea uh, that speaks about this perfecting process. It's Hosea chapter 5, verse 12. And in that passage, and I'll give you a moment to find it because it would have taken me a minute to find it if I were out there because it's a, not an easy book to find. In that passage, God says, as he speaks to the recalcitrance of the Jewish people, he says, I am going to come to them like a moth, gently in order to get back to himself. How about that? I'm going to come to them like a moth, flickering like a moth, to remind them to come back. I am your God. But what happens? What happens if we swat the moth and we're not interested in the moth and we continue to be in our ways? What happens when we're children of God? Does God stop? Does he say, well, that's it. They're lost. No, your God doesn't do that. It says there in verse 14, Hosea 5, verse 14, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim like a great lion to Judah, and this is God speaking, I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have become, until they have borne their guilt and seek my face in their misery, and they will earnestly seek me. You see how God is? This is his, the call for you in your life. This is his plan. This is akin to getting the two by four on the side of the head. You understand? Sometimes that's the only language many of us need to hear. 
all right? We're going off and doing our own thing. Yet he's got a perfecting process and plan. He's got a plan for you. So this is the great principle to learn. God is determined to lead you in righteousness. So when you sin, and you will, and you're saved, he will deal gently with you if he can. But he will also deal roughly with you if he must. In fact, he will even break your life into little pieces if he is forced to do this. And in fact, he did this to the Jewish people who went into captivity for several hundred years because that's what they needed in order to be reminded of the righteousness of God that they had failed to follow him. This becomes our responsibility as we walk as followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have been saved, but the Lord demands perfection from us. Yes, he sees us as perfect through salvation, but through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And while we have been blessed tremendously, he will continue to demand great things from us. He will give us those blessings, but he will withdraw those blessings in order to perfect our failings, church. We must not force God to come in as a roaring lion and ravaging our people. We need to recognize the fluttering of the moth, those slight inconveniences, those little failures in your life, that restless miscarriage of your plans. They warn you, you see, of God's displeasure at your present course of action and of his desire to turn you back to himself. And so if we learn to live like this, we will go on from strength to strength and rejoice daily in the good work that he has planned for us. And we will see that the very work of perfection that he has started with us on the day that we, will, that we were saved will continue through our whole life until finally in the portal as we walk from this life to the next, he will glorify us as we will become more like Christ. Amen, church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this message which underscores the nature of how you deal with us. Lord, we know you want us to be perfect. There is no other standard. There is no other wiggle room. And so, Father, we bow to you and we say, yes, Lord, make us perfect. Make us more like Jesus every day of our life. And let us be responsible to you, Father. Be responsible to you as you come to us like a moth. And you tell us through our inconveniences and our miscarriage of plans that this is not what you want for us. And deliver us, Lord, from these self-serving aspects of our life. And yet, Father, let us bow before your throne and take up our cross and walk with you for the rest of our life, Lord, so that when we pass from this life to the next, you will say, well done, well done my good and faithful servant. Amen, church.